Just before uh, I start, just to say I'm uh, conscious that it is somewhat muggy. Um, it's muggy up here too. Um, so I'll do my best uh, not to be uh, excessively long this evening, but I've said that before. We'll see what happens, but I am going to do my best. Uh, but there's a story told uh, of a zoo which was noted for its uh, great collection uh, of different animals. Uh, but tragically, one day, uh, the gorilla died. And to keep up the appearance uh, of having the full range of animals, uh, a zookeeper decided to hire a man to wear a gorilla suit and fill in for the now dead animal. Uh, it was, however, his first day on the job. And the man didn't know how to act like a gorilla very well. Uh, and as he tried to move convincingly, he got too close to the wall of the enclosure and he fell into the lion exhibit. <laughs> now, I don't know if that story is true. I suspect not. But it, at the very least, it does illustrate something. Uh, it illustrates the danger of pretending to be something that you are not. And it's a danger of which we are all at risk. It's very easy to pretend to be something you are not. And the passage we read uh, here in Mark chapter 14 illustrates how subtle that deception can be. Uh, it's so subtle sometimes that we don't just deceive others, we can even deceive ourselves as we pretend to be something we are not. Uh, we read in this passage of a woman who comes while Jesus is at meal in the house of Simon the leper, we're told, and she breaks a costly bottle of expensive perfume and pours it over his head. Um, if we take as given what verse 5 says, if we assume that the objection that people raise afterwards isn't an exaggeration, uh, this perfume was worth 300 denarii. And a denarii was, or denarius, was one day's wage. Uh, so it's difficult to do exact comparisons, but that's something like 15,000 pounds. Uh, perhaps that doesn't translate exactly, but the point is it was a hugely costly and valuable perfume which this woman pours over Jesus' head. And as we've said, there's immediately an outcry from people sitting around. Uh, look at verse 4 of chapter 14. It says, But there were some who were indignant among themselves and said, Why was this fragrant oil wasted? For it might have been sold for more than 300 denarii and given to the poor. And they criticized her sharply. Now, initially, that complaint seems fairly justified. That's a lot of money to simply be poured over one man's head. Surely it would have made more sense to sell it and to apportion the money more wisely, perhaps, 
to feed the poor. But when Jesus speaks, he rebukes the complainers and the objectors, and he commends the woman for what she has done. And Jesus reveals that what the woman did was a genuine act of love and compassion, but the objection of those sitting around was a phony one. It was a fake, hollow gesture of love and compassion, compassion, as we shall see. And we as believers, if we are a believer here this evening, need to learn to tell the difference. The difference between true love and phony love. Because that's what we see in this passage. So let's look at those two. Let's look first at the phony expression of generosity and love. And then let's look at the true expression of generosity and love as demonstrated by this woman. Uh, So again, we see the phony expression in verse 4. It says, some who were there were indignant amongst themselves and said, why was this fragrant oil wasted? We're told they were indignant. We're told they were very critical. And on the surface, it seemed reasonable. But Jesus knew something that we don't from this passage. Jesus could see into the hearts of the people who made this complaint. And fortunately, we're given an insight into that in one of the other Gospels. And if you were to turn to John chapter 12, if you have a Bible, it might be helpful to do that. In John chapter 12, we're given more detail of this same event. Uh, John tells us exactly what was going on in the heart of at least one of the people who objected. And it's in John chapter 12, verse 4 onwards. But I'll read from verse 3. And we're even given the woman's name. It says, Then Mary took a pound of very costly oil of spikenard, anointed the feet of Jesus and wiped his feet with her hair. And the house was filled with the fragrance of the oil. But one of his disciples, Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, who would betray him, said, Why was this fragrant oil not sold for 300 denarii and given to the poor? But then John tells us this, verse 6. This he said, not that he cared for the poor, but because he was a thief and had the money box and he used to take what was put in it. So you see what Jesus knew, which we, what we didn't initially. John tells us that one of the people criticizing this woman was Judas. And for all his fine-sounding words, which seem so generous, which seem so good, they veiled an evil heart. He pretended to care for the poor, when in reality, he only cared for himself. He was a thief. He wanted that 300 denarii to be given into the pot so that he could help himself from it. His words were a ruse for what his heart really thought. 
And that's a warning to all of us. Uh, It's possible to fool others. It's possible even to fool ourselves into thinking that we care about generosity and righteousness and justice when actually our real concern in our hearts is for something altogether different. And what I'd like to do is just give a few examples of that uh, in everyday life right today. I want to give some examples of ways in which we can put a front of righteousness on with our lips or with our actions, but inside we're actually concerned about something else altogether. Uh, Let's give one example. Uh, Unless you've been living under a rock uh, this last week, uh, you'll know that Donald Trump uh, has been uh, indicted and is charged with serious criminal offences, and roughly half of America is very happy about it, and roughly half America is very angry about it. But here's the question. Which side really cares about truth and justice? Uh, You may not know much about the situation, so let me just explain a little bit more. Uh, For those who are angry about it, who are angry that Trump is facing these charges, they point out that Hillary Clinton, who is a Democrat, uh, she did something very similar or comparable when she was in power, but the FBI waved it aside. And they said, what she did was wrong, but we won't charge. And so the Republicans are saying, well, why are you judging Trump and you didn't judge her? But the other side point out that when Trump was standing as president, he was crying out for Hillary Clinton to be put in jail for what she did. But now, (laughs) the shoe's on the other foot, and he's facing charges. But you see the point. The reality is, neither side really care about truth and justice. What they care about is that their person, their man or woman, gets into power. That's what they are worried about. That's what their concern is. And if you hate Trump, you'll be delighted at what's happening right now. But if you love him, you'll be angry. And yet what really suffers is truth and justice. Because very few people actually care about that. You see, sometimes what we say and how we act doesn't actually fit the reality of what's going on in our heart. It might look good, it might sound good, but there's hypocrisy lurking underneath. But let me give another example, uh, closer to home. That's way across the Atlantic. Uh, Again, unless you've been living under a rock, you'll know that Boris Johnson has stepped down as an MP, and he's not very happy about it. And again, there's a good bunch of other people who aren't happy about it and probably a greater number of people who are happy about it depending on which side you follow but again the question is who is actually concerned about truth 
which side truly cares about righteousness and justice? Put it this way. Uh, well, let's, just, let's apply it to ourselves here. Uh, I don't know what people's political persuasions are. But would you respond the same way if the charges against Boris Johnson were against the person you voted for? Would your reaction be exactly the same? Do you see the problem? Do you see how we can be motivated by other concerns other than what is true and what is just? So often something can be happening in our hearts which lead us to say things which don't actually express what we truly believe. Jesus warned us, the judgment we meet out on others will be meted out on us. We need to be very, very careful what we say about other people in case one day it gets turned against us. We have to be consistent. Uh, But let me just give one more example, even more close to home. Uh, Christians in churches sometimes get into arguments, don't they? Sorry to break that to you, but it does happen. Sometimes Christians argue, and they argue about paint colours and seating and sermon length and uh, exactly what to wear when you go to church. Uh, There are all sorts of things that Christians argue about in church, and that can be okay. We should have opinions, and we should express our opinions, it becomes a problem when we fall into the same trap that Judas fell into here. Because sometimes we can have an honestly held opinion about something, but then we turn that preference into a law, a law that everyone else must obey. And we decide our preference is actually the only righteous way to go. And we paint our preference with a veneer of righteousness. Uh, I knew someone many years ago, uh, and it's not anyone anyone would know here, it was many years ago in another part of the country. And uh, whenever we would have a, a new speaker, or perhaps even something like a new hymn in our youth group, Uh, they would diligently go home and research that person or that author. And they would find and dig up all the dirt about that person or whatever it might be. Uh, Again, that's not necessarily a bad thing. We should be diligent and know who we're listening to and all those sort of things. The trouble was they only did it with some people and not everyone. Uh, They only did it with the people they didn't like. And for whatever reason, they didn't like that person, and so they would dig to find something to be critical about of them. It wasn't consistent across the board. Uh, We need to beware doing that, because what it betrays is what we say we're interested in, truth, righteousness, isn't really. It's actually about our own personal preferences. Uh, 
Now, let's just take that example of hymns, for example. Um, sometimes you can look up a hymn, perhaps written more recently, and someone can uh, find something the hymn writer did, uh, some article they wrote or some conference they went to, and say how terrible and yet not do the same research on older hymns. Um, I don't know if you know the hymn. I I know you know the hymn because we've sung it. Uh, Be Still My Soul. And we often sing it to the tune Finlandia. I love the tune. I'm not going to sing it, (laughs) thankfully for you. But the tune Finlandia was written by a Finnish composer called Sibelius. Some of you know music might know that. Uh, But it's interesting if you do a little bit of research into Sibelius. Uh, He wasn't necessarily the most savoury individual. I'll leave you to do the research for yourself. And yet, we use his tune. And it's, for many Christians, a favourite tune. Or again, we often sing the hymn... Um, when Peace Like a River, written by Horatio Spafford. And from this pulpit, I've shared the story of how he wrote that, uh, how it was in the midst of great family tragedy, and he wrote it on the ship when he was going to meet his family after the death of uh, one or more of his children. And he wrote that wonderful hymn, When Peace Like a River Attendeth My Way, When Sorrows Like Sea Billows Roll, Whatever My Lot, He Has Taught Me to Say, It Is Well, It Is Well With My Soul. Wonderful words. But again, do a little research and you'll discover that Horatio Spafford uh, ended up in, perhaps too strong to say it, but something of a cult. Uh, His doctrine and teaching was not what we would like. I'll just give those as two examples of ways in which we can sometimes be critical of some things and yet not critical of others. And to be clear, uh, I'm not saying that we shouldn't sing those hymns. Far from it. I think we should. What I'm saying is we have to be consistent. The criticisms we make of others have to be consistent across the board. Whether that is true, whether that's of politicians or whether it's of people in our own churches. Christ wants us to be sincere and honest all the way through. Otherwise, we risk being like Judas here, who criticised this woman sharply. But he was a hypocrite. He was a liar in his heart. And his fine words actually betrayed a rotten heart. But that leads us to discuss, in closing, what is true righteousness? Uh, Judas, in this passage, and those who were with him, give an example of shallow, hollow, fake righteousness, which doesn't match what's really going on in the heart. But the woman in this story, she gives us an example of true righteousness. True generosity. And listen to what Jesus says of her. Verse 6. He said, But Jesus said, Let her alone. Why do you trouble her? She has done a good work for me. 
For you have the poor with you always, and whenever you wish, you may do them good. But me you do not have always. She has done what she could. She has come beforehand to anoint my body for burial. Assuredly, I say to you, wherever this gospel is preached in the whole world, what this woman has done will also be told as memorial to her. Jesus says, leave her alone. Be quiet. Stop criticizing what this woman has done. In essence, he's saying, this woman is more righteous than you are. However reasonable your objection might sound, she has done a good work for me. And those are the crucial two words. What Judas was saying, what the people around were saying, wasn't for the poor, it wasn't for the needy, it wasn't certainly for Jesus, it was for them. It was for Judas. What this woman did, she did for Christ. Jesus could see the hearts of those around, and he could see their motivation, that it was motivated by selfishness and by greed and by self-interest. But he could also see the heart of this woman, And he could see that she was motivated by a love for him. She was serving Christ's interest. And that really is the key difference between fake righteousness, fake godliness, and true righteousness. Who are you doing it for? Who are you serving Are you serving yourself or are you serving Christ? Uh, Paul taught this in his letter to the Philippians. Uh, He wrote this uh, to the Philippian church in Philippians chapter 2 verse 19. He says, I trust in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you shortly, that I also may be encouraged when I know your state. For... I have no one like-minded who will sincerely care for your state, for all seek their own, not the things which are of Christ Jesus. Now that last verse is quite interesting, because you might have thought Paul would have said, I know that Timothy will sincerely care for you because he seeks the things of others and not of his own. But he doesn't say that. Paul says, I know that Timothy will sincerely care for you because he doesn't seek his own things, but the things of Christ. That was the key. Paul knew that Timothy's heart was captivated by Christ. His love was for Christ alone. And because that's where his heart was, Paul knew he would sincerely care for the Philippian church. So that's really the question for each of us as we examine our own hearts. Uh, Whose interests are you concerned with in your life? Is it Christ's or is it your own? Are you more like this woman 
Or are you more like Judas and those around him? Uh, When you are indignant, as we all are sometimes, when we complain, which we all do sometimes, is it really Christ which is motivating you? Or is it merely your own self-interest, the desires of your own heart? That's the question we should all ask ourselves. Why are we indignant? Why are we critical? Is it because we love Christ so much? Or is it because we love ourselves so much? That's the warning from this passage. Beware. Being, beware being like Judas. And dressing up our personal preferences and desires in an attractive-looking cloak and not being like this woman who was motivated by a sincere love for Christ. But let me just close by just pointing to one other thing Christ said. Uh, did you notice what he said in verses 7 and 8? He said to Judas and the others with him, "'You have the poor with you always, "'and whenever you wish you may do them good.'" But me you do not have always. She has done what she could. She has come beforehand to anoint my body for burial. Judas thought he could see. Judas thought he could understand. He used his own mind and thought, well, surely this money can be better used for the poor. Of course, veiling his own greedy desire. He thought he could see. He thought he had understanding. But he was blind. But this woman could see far more than Judas could. She could see why Christ came. She could see how Christ was infinitely more valuable than anything else. And so she did, I love that phrase, verse 8, she did what she could. In reality, that perfume wasn't valuable enough to anoint Christ's head with. Because Jesus was going to die. Jesus was going to the cross. He was going to suffer and take on himself the sins of everyone who would trust in him. He would pay a cost which no debt, no amount of money could ever pay. And this woman could see that. She could see something of what Christ was going to do. And in love, in a wonderful expression of genuine love, she poured out all that she had on Christ. She could see far more than Judas. Because what did Judas do? Judas, a few days later, would betray Jesus and sell him for a measly 30 pieces of silver. For all his fine pretensions, he was destroyed in the end. He didn't even get to enjoy that 30 pieces of silver because he realised too late that he had sacrificed the most valuable person in the world. 
Let's beware. Let's beware being short-sighted and settling for a fake show of righteousness instead of genuine, heartfelt love for the one who came to die for us. And with those thoughts in mind, uh, I've chosen as our final hymn number 784. Uh, 784. Take my life and let it be consecrated, Lord, to thee. Take my moments and my days. Let them flow in ceaseless praise. And particularly verse 6, which reminds us of what this woman did. It says, verse 6, Take my love, my Lord, I pour at thy feet its treasure store. Take myself and I will be ever only all for thee. So let's stand to sing in closing number 784.